Good morning, church. Starting to get a little cooler, just a little bit. Outside. So I was at, I can't remember where I was, to be honest with you. I was either at a mall or I was at some kind of doctor's office or something. Um, and the mom was nearby, but there was this little boy, and he was uh, looking at this door, and he was going, Hefata, Hefata, like that. And I'm thinking, these kids watch too much Harry Potter, you know what I mean? It's like, Hefata, you know, they kept doing that. And I keep thinking, what is he doing? So I walked up to him, I go, what are you doing? He goes, I'm trying to open the door. You know, of course. And uh, I thought about it, and I said, well, what's, what's this word you're using? And he says, it's in the Bible. I go, Hefafata is in the Bible? And he goes, yeah. And I don't know where, you know. And so I went home and I looked it up. So I want to read you this verse. We're going to start right away in the Bible, Mark chapter 7. We're going to go right there. We're going to, just to warn you today, we're going to look at a lot of Bible verses. All right, good, 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 good. Mark chapter 7, let's get that up on the screen, beginning with verse 31. It says, then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon down to the Sea of Galilee into the region of the Decapolis. There, some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk. And they begged Jesus to place his hand on him. After he took him aside, away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. Then he spit and touched the man's tongue. He looked up to the heavens and with a deep sigh said to him, Ephaphata, which means be opened, right? The kid had it right the whole time. I had never heard this before. He had it right the whole time, except for the door wasn't opening. He was there until I left. At this, the man's ears were opened. His tongue was loosened, the Bible tells us. And he began to speak plainly. And then Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone. And it's the next part that really intrigues me. But the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. Jesus says, don't say anything, but he keeps talking about it. Don't say anything, but he keeps talking about it, more and more so. Let me take you to another verse, Mark chapter 1, beginning with verse 40. Mark, the first chapter, it says, there was a man with leprosy. He came to him and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. <laughs> of course. What kind of a crazy statement is that? Be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. 
And then Jesus sent them away at once with a strong warning. Same thing. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go. Show yourself to the priest and offer sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Don't tell anybody. Instead, the Bible tells us, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. It was so bad, it says that as a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stay outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. So here's two examples, and there's more in the Bible. Where Jesus will hear somebody and then say to them, please don't tell anybody. But what we are told is they can't stop telling people about it. In fact, I believe that they were so appreciative of what happened. They were so amazed about God's power in their lives that they could not help but speak. They could not help but spread the news. They could not help but tell the world. They could not help themselves. Have you ever experienced that? I want to introduce you to a guy by the name of Ernest Borderline. Ernie's on the boundary of eternity. He's experiencing emotional the emotional roller coaster that usually accompanies making a kingdom decision. Do I follow Jesus? Do I not? One voice inside of him is saying, look, yeah, I'm not so bad. I mean, there's no need for some kind of dramatic conversion over here. You know, let's not go overboard. Just, a little, just you know, maybe it's just, maybe I'm just battling something. Maybe I ate something, the, the wrong food last night. Who knows what it is? But as the battle over Ernie's life intensified, God sends an army of conviction. God sends an army of conviction to Ernie. He is invaded until Ernie can't take it any longer. He hears the appeal at the church. There are too many sleepless nights, and he can't take it anymore, and he surrenders to Jesus Christ. Thank you. Somebody said amen to that. Because that is such a powerful moment, isn't it? When that person finally says, I give up and surrenders to Jesus Christ. That night, Ernie called on the name of the Lord. Now, there, there, there was no big fireworks going on. With quivering lips, he admitted I'm a sinner, and I need a Savior. When's the last time you said that? No fireworks happened, no clouds parted. There was no sound of symphony orchestra. Nobody singing hallelujah as he is making this decision. Just tranquility and peace flowed through him as he had never experienced before. It is overwhelming to him. The battle is over, he thought to himself. To peace, the Holy Spirit added assurance. As he matured, assurance 
turned into joy. To joy, compassion was added. And to compassion began to grow this deep desire to share with people the experience that he had gone through. He couldn't help himself. Even if Jesus would have said to him, hey, whatever you do, don't tell anybody. Ernie can't help himself. He's got to tell people. In fact, he decides, I've got to tell my best friend. We'll call him Mark. And he says, I'm, I'm going to need to tell him about this peace that I have. I need to tell him about the life change that I'm experiencing. And so Ernest prayed and prayed and he prayed and he waited for the right moment, for the right opportunity to muster the courage. And the day came, Mark's lucky day. When Ernest Borderline was going to share with him the good news. Now many of us at this point of the story cringe. Perhaps some of us in this room have been infected by the spirit of cynicism. Oh no. <laughs> there goes another newbie unknowingly about to hit a solid wall of resistance. He has no clue what's going to happen, right? He is going to be totally devastated. How many of you can relate to that feeling? I hope Ernie survives. Don't you? It happens to all of us, but it is particularly devastating to new believers. Don't you agree? Ernie, bursting with gratitude, courage to come forth from under the bushel, takes a stand for the kingdom. Poor Ernie is dealt a discouraging blow. He is ridiculed, and the rejection from those he loves most is so painful. That testimony that he took weeks and weeks to prepare is met with a blank stare. What? Or maybe it's that patronizing word of caution. Hey, hey, Ernie, that's working for you. That's cool. I get it. Just please don't go overboard, you know. It's just a phase I think you're going through. Has anybody ever told you that? It's just a phase. Hey, Ernie, carefully, man. Just be careful. They're, the church, they're only after your money. That's all they're really after. I don't know what you're going through right now. They're going to turn your brain into oatmeal, Ernie. So just be careful there. Soon you'll be selling flowers at Tri-Cities Airport, Ernie. Or maybe it's the shocking response. Gee, Ernie, I, I didn't think things were that bad. <laughs> Is this something I could, I mean, what's going on in your life? I don't know about you, and I know many of you have been raised as believers, and so maybe you have not experienced this. But I have. I have experienced it as a new believer, and I've experienced it in the past few months. I experience it a lot. It just happens. It happens every time we muster the courage. Not every time, excuse me. It happens often. 
often it happens every time we, all, we, we uh, muster the courage to say, I'm going to say something to this person because they need Jesus Christ. If you've ever been in a situation where you have met somebody, talked to somebody, and in that moment you realize this person needs Jesus. And there was this battle inside of you. Do you know what I'm talking about? Anybody here experienced that battle? That battle that says, should I say something or maybe not? I don't know. And that's not the worst of it for Ernie, by the way. A few days later, people are talking about him. You know what? Ernie's lost it. He's just gone off the deep end. And he's experiencing disapproval and he's experiencing rejection. Mark won't even talk to him anymore. What happens to us? What happens to us when we sense for the first time that we are suddenly on the outside? What happens to us when we're lumped in with some group called the born-again Christians or in-your-face fanatics, you know, Bible thumpers, people that burn down abortion clinics, you know, all of a sudden you're kind of all in that thing, right? I mean, what happens to us when people make us feel that way? And how do we deal with that? What will we do with the hurt? When, what happens to us when we feel alienated by that rejection? We feel all alone in our convictions. We know what's right. I mean, it's happened to us. It's miraculous. But, and we can't help it. What will we do with the hurt? Our natural reaction, at least this is what I've experienced, is to run right back under the bushel. Isn't that true? Just go right under the bushel, man. And we become secret agents for Jesus. You know what I'm talking about? How many of you committed yourself to being a secret agent for Jesus? You know what? I'm just not going to, I'm going to be careful, I'm going, to be, I'm going to be careful about how I'm going to do this because I don't want to experience that hurt again. I should have kept my mouth shut. And so from now on, I'm going to play it safe. I'll associate with those who are like me, and then I will just kind of be a secret agent for Jesus. There is no secret service, you know, in the God's church, right? I'm amazed how many that I meet have turned into secret agents for Jesus. Weeks turn into months, months into years, and one day you're sitting in the pew listening to a sermon like this, and you're asking yourself, am I earnest? Am I a secret agent? Is he talking about me? I don't know. Am I? Far too many of us become borderline earnest. Far too many of us have marked somebody and have come away with this experience. And our experience has become, at best, borderline earnest. We begin to reason. Religion is a private matter. How many of you have said that to yourselves? Why should I interfere with somebody we convince ourselves, we, I, I better not say anything. We simply, if I could just simply live a life of faith, 
in a consistent fashion, they'll see it. And somehow this will, by osmosis, come on upon them. And they will somehow get it and figure it out. If, we just, we, if I could just live like Jesus, somehow miraculously people around me will get it. Have you ever reasoned that way? How are we doing it here? <laughs> but this morning's text suggests otherwise, doesn't it? This morning's text suggests that if Jesus truly has done something in our lives, then we are compelled to share it. We cannot help ourselves. In fact, the real battle is, okay, I know this guy needs Jesus. How am I going to tell him? <laughs> I better not take this approach. I better take this approach. If I take this approach, that's going to be good, bad. And, you know, that's the real battle. Now, listen, I, I just want you to know right from the beginning here that I've been there, and often I'm there still. There are times when I'm on an airplane, and I, I just I don't want to talk to anybody. There are times when I am, uh, this, I don't know why this happens every time I get a haircut. It doesn't happen anymore because I go to a Seventh-day Adventist person that cuts my hair now. But I didn't always, you know, and I would sit down and they would say, so, uh, you know, they want to do small talk. And they're like, so what do you do for a living? I know what that means. As soon as I tell them, that's the last thing I say. And that's the last thing they say. And that's the end of the whole discussion, right? So I'm like, uh, so I started doing this thing like a game, like guess. I'll give you three guesses, you know. Uh, so you're, uh, you're in construction. Nope. Hmm, am I close? Well, depends on how you look at it. Uh, you're, um, are you a lawyer? Nope. Am I close? Nope. <laughs> but I have defended people. And... They never get it. And then they're like, okay, so what are you? I go, I'm not telling you. Maybe next haircut. And then we start all over again. They get three more tries, you know. But sometimes I've told them. And sometimes when I've told them, it's because I sensed, I don't know if you've ever gotten this sense, I sensed that somehow maybe this can open up the door for me to have a conversation with this lady that maybe will get her across the threshold of eternity. Have you ever felt that inside? At some point in my life, I made a decision. A thousand ridicules on this side versus one person for the kingdom of God. Weigh it. Right? I mean, I, none of us, none of us like to be ridiculed. None of us like to be rejected. None of us. People think, oh, you're a pastor. It's easy for you. No, it's not. I'm a human first. I was not born a pastor. It is not, I fail often on this. I'm just telling you, I'm preaching to me as well as you. Just know that, okay? But here's the reality. I think the church is dying, not specifically this church, but the church as a whole. The Christian church is dying because too many of us are taking this attitude. This attitude that says, you know what? I've been rejected. I don't like rejecting, rejection. And I'm just not going to, I'm just going to live my life. And to be honest with you, many of us fail at that too. Right? Hunk if you know Jesus as you're cutting somebody off. 
When was the last time you summoned the courage to share Christ with an unbeliever? You do realize that because you are here and because you've given your life to Jesus Christ, you see life as others can't. You hear things that others just can't. You feel what others don't. You're aware of things that others are not aware of. You know something that nobody else knows. And people are, have you noticed people are hurting out there? Have you noticed what's happening in the world today? I know, Monday morning, total eclipse of the sun, right? Partial eclipse here, right? But I got to tell you something. I feel like there is, there's an eclipse coming. And people are becoming more and more blind to the truths of God because, because maybe we have lost the courage or we, maybe we've never found the courage to share that love with others. Is that possible? I mean, I, I've had to ask myself, how, how can any of us, how can I, who have been healed of spiritual blindness, not, not let anybody know about it? How can I, whom God has opened the ears to hear and understand, tell no one? How can we, after being healed of spiritual leprosy, ever say nothing to no one? How can we sit in our churches Sabbath after Sabbath and feed on spiritual banquets while the world is starving for the bread of life? How is that possible? So I want to talk about three calls from the Bible that awaken us. We'll do the pastor thing. You know, three, three things. That's what the pastor does. Here's three things, right? <laughs> point one, point two, point three. I'm going to actually do that today, which I, I don't normally do three. I try to stay away from that, but there were only three that I could really sink my teeth in. So here's the first one. It's found in Romans chapter 1, beginning with verse 14. It's going to be on the screen for you. And this is what I call the call from within. Romans chapter 1, verse 14. And this is Paul who is speaking. And he says, I am obligated. I am obligated, both the Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and to the foolish, that is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. I am obligated, he says. And then he says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why does he say those words? I am not ashamed of the gospel. If I were to ask you, are you ashamed of the gospel? I don't think anybody in this room would say, yep, I am ashamed of the gospel. None of you are. The problem is, unbelievers don't know that. And if you're not sharing with them, they can come up to only two reasons. Number one, it doesn't do anything for you, therefore it's not worth sharing. Or number two, you're ashamed. 
And I don't believe any of those two reasons is the truth. Right? I am not ashamed of the gospel. He says, I am obligated, both the Greeks and non-Greeks, both the wise and the foolish. It doesn't matter who it is. I am obligated. In another version, he says, I am compelled. I can't help myself. Everyone that I lock eyes with matters to God. Everyone that I connect with is important to God. And if God has put me in this presence of this person, here's what I know. This is going to sound weird to you. Please don't take this from an arrogant perspective. Not at all. But when I am sitting in that chair getting your haircut and I'm feeling that, that, that tug that says, come on, say something. I am realizing for the first moment that maybe in this room at this time, I'm the most important person in this room. Are you following what I'm saying? In other words, what I'm saying to you is that, that perhaps God has put me in that room to say something to that woman and maybe somebody else that hears it. And I think we've lost this art. And I don't know about you, but I want to start a revolution, a revolution that says let's get that art going again. Because I know every one of us, if you are a true believer, if you have experienced salvation, if you know that Jesus has... Has, if, and if I would ask, I'm not asking you to raise your hands right now. Please don't do that. But, but if I would have said, how many of you feel like you have a deep relationship with Jesus Christ? Most of you would raise your hands. And I'd say, how many of you has that deep relationship compelled you to share Jesus with somebody last week? Most of you would put your hands down. I, I'm not trying to make you feel bad. It happens to me too. But here's what I've learned. It matters not. If that person is nice or if she's rude or he's smart or he's simple, it doesn't matter if they're marginalized by everybody else. I am with that person. They matter to God. And I don't know about you, but I always, and I always say, God, please never let me lose that deep sense of obligation. William Booth he was the founder of the Salvation Army. He was invited to Buckingham Palace. And he signed the guest book this way. Your Majesty, some, men, some men's ambition is honor, while others is fame. Some men's ambition is wealth or art. But Your Majesty, my ambition is the souls of men and women for Jesus Christ. Is that your ambition? Jesus said, follow me, and I will make you of men. Is his burden yours? Does it really matter to you that individuals here in Richland are lost? feel like I need to dance according to the sound of this. <laughs> Not sure what that means. Is the time up? Is, is it over? Are we done? <laughs> See, I believe, I believe, I don't know if you believe this, but I believe Jesus enriches our lives beyond our imagination. And it compels me to accept like Jesus and to serve like Jesus and to love like Jesus. 
If it doesn't, then maybe, I, maybe, maybe I'm not convinced that Jesus can enrich people's lives in Richland beyond their imagination. See, I believe that. Do you? If you don't, you know, say, guys, stop right here and just say, God, please help me to believe that. Say, God, I'm going to take the next few days, the next few weeks, the next, whatever long it takes, God, months, years, whatever it takes, but I'm going to pray every day, God, please help me to believe that. Because I believe that when you believe that, everything changes. When you are fully convinced beyond the shadow of a doubt that Jesus enriches the lives of everyone that he touches in one way or another, then you cannot help. That's, imagine if I said to you, hey guys, I found the cure for cancer. But I'm not going to tell you. No way. Because if I do, you're going to laugh at me. It's so simple, you're going to ridicule me. I'm not going to do it. Right? But what do you think of me? You'd say, Sergio, there are hundreds, thousands, hundreds of thousands of people dying of cancer. You've got to share this. No, no, I can't. Does it really work? It works every time. And yet we have the cure for death. Any death. Through Jesus Christ. How can we not share it? This second call is the call that I call the call from without. So we have the call from within, this kind of sense of obligation, this, this compelling sense. They couldn't help themselves. And then there's the call from without. I find this in Romans chapter 10, beginning with verse 13. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If not, just go right to the screen. It'll be up there in a few seconds. And I'm reading from the New International Version, by the way. If your version is just slightly different, that's pretty much the version I'm reading from. So, uh, while it's oh, there it goes. Beautiful. It says, everyone, how many? Everyone. See, don't miss this. Because part of the problem is that we think that we can't make a difference. I mean, who am I, really, to share this really important truth with somebody? This cure. I mean, come on. I'm just, I'm not a pastor. I'm not a, a teacher. I'm just, I just come to the church and, and you know. Well, sure. I, just so you know, pastors are broken, too. Do you believe that? See, I have to work through my brokenness to get that courage, just like you do. Don't, don't, and, and those of you who know me well know that I'm really actually an introvert. I am not an extrovert. I get up and speak, and this is, this is easy for me. I'm not going to lie to you. I, I, I love this. I enjoy this. I'm compelled. I can't help myself. But can I just be honest with you? I'm an introvert. That means that, that means that once this is done, I need to go home and be by myself. That's just, I'm being honest with you. I get re-energized by my alone time. Does that make sense? So, so I, it's not natural for me to have a discussion with somebody. I'm just not like that. I know people that are like that. They're all, they're, their whole being is about winning others over. They're all, they're, that's, they're, ah, it's unbelievable to me. It's fantastic. I, I don't do that. So I have, to, I have to go through my brokenness, and I have to go through my 
problems and my challenges and my personality and my temperament so that I can break through and ask God to help me use words for his kingdom. The call from without says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Isn't that a great news, by the way? If that's the case, man, that is just awesome. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you've ever called on the name of the Lord, truly, sincerely, authentically, genuinely so, let me tell you right now, you have eternal life. That's just, that's just the reality of it. That's what it says here, okay? I like to tell people I am in a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. It's ongoing. Every day. It keeps me going. I love it. And Paul says, everyone, everyone who calls on the name of Jesus will be saved. How then, he says, can they call on the one who they have not believed in? Oh, that's easy. Okay, so for them to call on, we have to get them to believe in him. All right, that's good, 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 okay. So they need to believe so they can call. And then it says, and how then can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? Oh, okay, that's true. They have to hear before they believe so that they can be saved. Does that make sense? Right, this is simple math from Paul, by the way. And how can they hear, don't miss this next line, how can they hear without someone preaching to them? Oh, okay, I get it. I've got to preach so that they can hear and they can believe and they can be saved. It doesn't happen any other way. In fact, Jesus once said, look, if we shut them up, the rocks will cry out. I mean, God's in the business of saving people, just so you know. But I think we have, we, we have lost the joy of realizing that God is actually wanting to partner with us. Because it ultimately, and i got to tell you, it's so true. If you've ever experienced it, I know some of you have. If you've ever experienced somebody come across the threshold of eternity because of something you said, just at the right time. I mean, it was no big deal. You know, you just said it. It's like the most amazing thing. Many of you know that I, I uh, taught at Blue Mountain Academy for many, many years. I was there for 15 years as a pastor and as a teacher. And the very first year I got there, I get a phone call from the dean. And I, I actually got there in April. So I got there towards the end of the year. It's May. I get this phone call from the dean saying, hey, there's somebody here that wants to commit suicide. Would you come and talk to them? How about what? Yeah, uh, I, I, I think they could use a visit from the pastor. I have never talked to anybody that wanted to commit suicide. I'm thinking, you, you, need, you need to call the police, you know? But, you know, I'm, I'm new there, and I'm I, I, like, okay, sure, you know? And I go to this young man's room, and I don't even remember this. I got to tell you right now, I hardly remember. I know what I would have done, and I, I probably would have tried to talk to him a little bit and, 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 and kind of reason it out a little bit, and, and, and I just thought, you know, and, and, and I visited him. That's all, that's all I remember. I know I prayed with him. The next year, this young man never came back to Blue Mountain Academy. I often wondered what happened to him, but as time went on, 
out of sight, out of mind. That's me. Sorry, guys. I'm so bad at that. Like a little kid, you know. About, I don't know, six, seven years later, maybe eight, I don't remember, I get a knock on my door. And it's this gentleman dressed very professionally and, and, and elegant. And, and I, there's something about him that I recognize, but, I, you know, I'm so bad with names. Faces, pretty good names, bad. So I, I look at him, and he looks at me. He goes, hello, Pastor Sergio. Do you remember me? And I said, I'm, I, I, I'm sure I do. But I, and he goes, it's, it's Joey. Joey Navarro. Joey Navarro. Why do I know that name? He says, well, let me tell you. He says, and he walks in, and he sits down. He says, I came here to tell you this. I've been wanting to tell you this for years. He says, I was the young man that you came to visit when you first came to Blue Mountain Academy, and I was going to commit suicide. He says, you have no idea how close I was. And you came in, and you began to talk to me. You began to convince me that you really cared. And then at one point, you stopped and you said, Joey, if you were to die tonight, would you be sure, beyond the shadow of a doubt, that your sins are forgiven and that you have eternal life? And I said, no. And then you led me through this prayer to accept Christ as my Savior. He said, that prayer changed my life. And I'm sitting there going, what? Why did it take you eight years to tell me this? I could have used some encouragement, you know, throughout the eight years to know, oh, yeah, don't forget Joey, right? No. You know, and then I started thinking, I wonder how many people will come to us in heaven and say, do you remember the time you talked to me just a little bit about Jesus? Remember the time that you just kind of shared with me a little bit of your wisdom, a little bit of what you learned, just a little bit. Remember the time you loved me? That moment was a life-changing moment in my life. It was a defining moment in my life. See, I believe that's going to happen, don't you? <laughs> when was the last time you recognized the call from without? When was the last time that you connected with someone and felt the tug of the Holy Spirit tug at your heart Whispering, go, say something now. See, I think in my life, at least my experience has been that the more I don't do it, the more desensitized I get to that call. Sent to preach so they can hear and have a chance to believe, to call upon the Lord and to be saved. Can I tell you something right now? And you've heard me say this before, and just trust me, you'll hear me say this many times again. But none of you are here by coincidence. You, you may think you are. You may think that you're here because mom dragged you out of bed. You may think that you are because your spouse dragged you out of bed. You may think that you are because you have responsibilities, and you've got to, you know, what people, what people think, you know. You may think that those are the reasons, you know, I've got to play an instrument, or I've got to teach a class, or, you know, the, what would the little children do without me there? And you may think that that's the reason, and that's maybe part of the reason, but can I be honest with you? That's not the whole reason 
There is a reason why you're here today is because God wanted you to hear this right here. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? God is tugging at your heart. He's tugging at my heart saying, you got to say this, Sergio. And i got to be honest with you. It's not easy for me. I want you to like me. Okay? I mean, that's, I'm just like everybody else. I don't like rejection. I don't want you to feel like, oh, no, that's the second sermon in a row. He's going. I'm telling you, I'm sorry about that. But I love you. And I want you to experience what I experience every time a Joey Navarro stops into our house and knocks on the door. I want to be there in heaven when somebody comes to you and says, hey, remember when? And then finally, the third call. And that is the call from the saints. There's this wonderful passage in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11. And that's the, I'm going to look at the very end of the chapter. That's that chapter that talks about all the people that lived by faith. In fact, one Sabbath school uh, is actually studying that, uh, this book and is actually in that chapter. Or actually the second chapter, right? And so there's this wonderful chapter about, about the, the people of faith, you know, Noah and, and, and uh, uh, Moses and Elijah and Joseph and David. I mean, it goes on and on and on and on. And, and then he says, look, I can't even mention them all. There are so many of them. They were so faithful. They, they, they suffered. They, they were persecuted. There are all these things. And then in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 39 it says these all of these people that we just talked about were all commended for their faith that's nice yet none of them received what had been promised what well, what good is that but the author of Hebrews says a little something a little further he says since God has planned something better for us so that only together with us they would be made what? Perfect. So what this verse is saying is that all those faithful people are waiting to receive the promise so that we can all receive it together. They're waiting. Those of us who have studied the Bible at a deep level, believe, some of us here believe, that, that when you die, you sleep until the resurrection morning. They're waiting. That's what this verse says. They're waiting. And then Hebrews 12, uh, verse 1, says these words. Therefore, since they're waiting, right? Isn't that what therefore means? Since they haven't received the promise, since they're waiting for us all together to receive it, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. In other words, what the author of Hebrews is saying, they're waiting. Don't you hear that call from them? From all the faithful, all throughout. That's why we have the records of the Bible. Because their faithfulness calls unto us. Their faithfulness speaks to us and says, come on, Serge. Come on. 
Come on, Mary. Right? Come on, Doug. Come on, Frank. I'm just making up names now. Just come on. Why? Because there is, they're, they're, they're wanting us to finish the race so that together with angels, I think angels are saying the same thing, right? Together with them, we can experience this wonderful promise that God has given us. Please, please do not walk out of this room today misunderstanding. Our first task is always to accept, serve, and love, right? To win people's confidences. But then to say, hey, follow Jesus, right? See, too often we, we accept, we serve, and we love, but too often we stop right there. We accept, serve, and love to open the door, Ephatha, for God to use us. I'm not saying bash people over the head with the Bible or force them to hear something that they don't want to hear. I'm saying accept, serve, love, and ask God to make you aware of opportunities when you should say something. See, I think too many of us, including myself, have lost opportunities. Can I be honest with you? Opportunities where God was tugging at our heart and we knew that we should say something, but we did not. Maybe we were too busy. I got to tell you, many times uh, I'll, I'll be driving and late to a meeting and there's somebody on the road that I could tell needs help and I'm just like, I can't, can't do it now. Hope somebody comes. Lord, please send somebody. <laughs> well, that's the equivalent of that, isn't it? Well, we've got to listen to that voice that says, pull over, help. God is asking us to seize the moment. Now, I want to tell you something. I'm going to share with you a beautiful promise. It's in Matthew, and it's chapter 10. It's a wonderful, wonderful promise. Verse 32, it says, this is Jesus speaking. He says, whoever acknowledges me before others, my Father in heaven... I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. See what he's saying? He's saying, look, if you acknowledge me, if you're not ashamed of the gospel, if you're willing to, 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 to say yes when I say go, then I will be willing to say yes before my Father. You acknowledge me, I will acknowledge you. Let's do this together. Let's work together to save as many as possible. Because unlike popular opinion, God wants to save as many as possible. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. The problem is not God. The problem is that we're not lifting him up. I'm going to finish with this story. It's 1921. And a man by the name of Lewis Laws became the warden of a prison in Ossining, New York, called Sing Sing Prison. Have you heard of Sing Sing? It's a very famous prison. I've actually uh, one time got to go there, uh, not as a prisoner, but uh, visiting, <laughs> visiting an inmate there. And it was like I had to go. It took me months to get clearance to do that. Under his leadership... We are told, or history tells us, that the prison became 
transformed. They actually credited his wife, Catherine. She's uh, buried outside the prison walls. There in Austining, there's actually a gravesite you can go to. Catherine Laws was a young mother of three. And uh, she, she felt compelled to somehow reach out to these prisoners. Everybody warned her, no, no, don't do it. Don't you step foot in that prison wall. I mean, there are murderers here. There are thieves. There are people here that will just... That, you don't want to go there, but she couldn't help herself. She was compelled. In the very first prison basketball game where they were there, she decided to attend prison basketball game, sitting in the bleachers with her three children amongst these derelicts, some of the toughest Prisoners, inmates that you could ever imagine at Sing Sing. She sat in the stand. And her attitude began to grow more and more. We are going to take care of these men, she said. We are going to take care of these men. She insisted on getting acquainted with them. Honey, please don't go. No, I'm going to go. Apparently in 1921, the laws were a little lax. She discovered that one of the inmates was blind. So she learned how to read Braille so she could teach this blind man how to read Braille. And the first book that he read, once he kind of got the hang of it, was the Bible in Braille. She discovered that there was a deaf mute there, so she learned sign language to teach this deaf-mute sign language. How cool is that? She discovered that there were lonely inmates there. So she began to read the Bible to them. She didn't know how to give Bible study. She just began to read the Bible to them, and they began to have this discussion with them. Many of them said that she was the closest thing to Jesus. Can you imagine that? In 1937, she was killed in a tragic car accident. I want to read you a clip from a, uh, from a book because it says it better than I could ever say it. The prisoners knew something was wrong when laws did not report to work the husband. Quickly, the word spread that Catherine had been killed in a car accident. The following day, her body was placed in her home three-quarters of a mile from the prison. As the acting warden took his early morning walk, he noticed a large gathering at the main gate. Every, every prisoner pressed against the fence, eyes awash with tears, face were solemn, and no one spoke spoke or moved. They had come to stand as close as they could to the woman who had given them love. That, the warden made a remarkable decision that day. He said, all right, men, you can go. 
Just be sure to check in tonight. You can go and pay your respects. All of you, just make sure you check in tonight. These were America's hardest criminals, murderers, robbers. These were men the nation had locked away for life, but the warden unlocked the gate for them. And they walked without escort or guard to the home of Catherine Laws to pay their last respects. And to a man, each one of them returned. Each one of them returned. They said, no one has showed us love like this woman has showed us love. No one has cared. No one has shined like Jesus like this woman. No one has shared the Bible like this woman has shared. So take the opportunity to accept, to serve, and to love. And then when you feel that tug, when you feel the Holy Spirit tugging at your heart, take the opportunity to say something. Even if you're just reading the Bible to them. Even if you're just sharing your favorite verse. It doesn't matter. You might not even remember like I did. But God is going to use those words for his glory. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, thank you for being there with us. Thank you for the experiences that you give us that compel us to share this great news with others. Help us, Lord, in those times that we know we should say something, but we cowered. Help us, Lord, in those times when we, we know that you're setting up an opportunity for us to share this love and, and, and we, we listen to the other voices that say, well, you don't know what to say and you don't know what, what to do. And help us to know, Lord, that there is nothing more powerful than our personal testimony. Help us to know, Lord, that there's nothing more powerful than just sharing a little bit of what we know. Because truly, Lord, it is not us that's convincing, it is you. We just need to speak so that they can hear and be convinced. Call out on your name and be saved. Please, Lord, lead us to that. Thank you so much for this church and the willingness that so many here have to do that. We love you, Father. Protect us and guide us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.